Hello, everyone. Many of you come here to listen to three friends laugh about the hilarity of society. Unfortunately, there is not much to laugh about these days. On May 25th, 2020, a man was murdered in broad daylight by a group of men sworn to protect him. His name was George Floyd. He was not the first, and disgracefully, he was not the last. But we will forever remember the way his death changed America as we know it. We couldn't bring ourselves to laugh and joke this week. We are hurting like the rest of our community. But we couldn't be quiet either. This week's episode is very special to me. In a moment, you'll hear my interview with Joe Kimmock, a public defender and candidate for Broward County State Attorney in Florida. I urge you to use Joe's knowledge and experience to educate yourself on the system that has failed Black people since conception. The truth, though harrowing, will be the catalyst to change. Thank you for listening. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary friends, um, I'm super excited to have our first guest on Say La Tea be the ever talented Joe Kimmock. Um, a little bit about Joe. Joe is actually a really, really special person, but that's not why we brought him here, of course. Although we do champion special people. Um, Joe is actually really, really influential in my home county of Broward County. Uh, Joe is a public defender and has been for years, and he is a father and a husband, and probably his most important title is my cousin. So, (laughs) (laughs) Joe, you actually have a lot of experience in kind of the justice system in Broward County, but I'm sure you have a wealth of knowledge with the justice system in general. Um, I don't know if you are an avid listener to Say La Tea. I certainly hope so, but we are typically a very lighthearted, fun, very cool place to just listen to some stuff that's just uplifting and kind of mindless. But with everything that's going on right now, it's definitely important for us to talk about the things that are so prevalent in all of our lives. So, of course... I'm talking about Black Lives Matter, social and racial injustice, all of that stuff that's kind of plaguing the United States at the moment. So I thought, who better to talk about these things with than my cousin, Joe Kimmock? Yeah, thank you for having me. And yes, um, uh, cousin to Amanda Young is definitely uh, the number one, you know, most important thing about me right now. I mean, being a dad seems cool, but being my cousin seems better. I mean, it's not something I've gotten to do, but it sounds like it would be you know, fun. Dad to two kids, husband, lawyer, but but cousin to you and and special cousin to you. I, I, you are not the first nor the last person uh, to call me special. So but I appreciate that. Yes, of course. So I figured we could kind of just dive right in. So one of the things that, I really appreciated about you, even from my first time meeting you, is how you've kind of positioned yourself as an ally for Black people and other people of color. It's something that you can kind of tell really early on when meeting you. Um, I know right now a lot of people are trying to figure out how they can align themselves as a useful ally. So 
My first question for you is, was there a specific moment in your life that kind of catapulted you into being an active ally for Black people and people of color? You know, I don't, I don't think there was any, any specific moment that that catapulted to me being an ally. What I will say is there is a moment that um, made me start to think about race, right? So I, I'm a white person. I grew up in a small, white, poor, rural town um, where, frankly, it would have been very, very easy for me to... to um, get on the all lives matter train and, and not be exposed to any type of race consciousness. Um, when I, but when I was in, uh, when I was a teenager, um, I went to our local church, St. Stephen's, um, and uh, one day the white pastor there, um, gave a sermon about um, implicit bias. And he told this story. Um, it was a man uh, that I did and still very, very you know, deeply respect um, and who told a story about uh, going to a McDonald's one day and sitting there and eating his Big Mac and having a couple of um, black teenagers walk in. And he felt uh, this um, kind of immediate uh, fear that, that white people oftentimes feel in those situations. Um, and then, of course, he felt the immediate shame of that, and he was able to recognize that. And I was just really, really stunned by his sermon that here was um, uh, a white man. You know, I, I had always thought of racists as, you know, KKK, you can tell who they are. That's what racism has always had always been defined as for me, and is still very much defined as you know, for, I think, a, a lot of white people in America. Right. Um, and here was, you know, a white pastor talking about a different kind of racism that I had never even really thought about before. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that was really, really profound for me. And, and I think about that a lot because, um, you know, while I will never, ever, ever understand what it's or even remotely what it's like to be black in America. Um, that doesn't mean that uh, having conversations with other white folks um, isn't both useful and necessary. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I always tell people I am in a unique position as somebody who grew up in predominantly white spaces. Um, you're right. I think a lot of people think of racism as kind of a white hood and burning crosses on people's lawn type situation. Um, but I totally recognize the fact that racism is can be coded and can be a lot more kind of camouflaged than that. And I totally agree. I think it's through conversations with my friends that are non-Black that we're really able to get some true perspective and kind of change of opinion. Um, so I definitely totally agree with that. And honestly, I think it's clear we're changing and people are learning. And that is such an amazing thing to see, honestly. Yeah, you know, social media, there's a lot, a lot of harm that goes into social media, um, but there's a lot of good from it, too, in, 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 in the sense that we are able to um, 
have conversations in ways that we, we never were before and we're able to uh, be educated ourselves in ways that we never were were before totally. and so um but there is another side that is you know becoming more entrenched frankly that you know i think uh, there is a definite white nationalism in, in this country that is uh found a little bit of a voice and that is digging its heels in and so um talk is really really good and, and the fact that we're talking and continuing to have conversations is good um but at some point you know we need to take extraordinary action Yes, I totally agree. So a lot of your work as a public defender has been kind of with people of color and Black people specifically. Um, How have you seen the justice system fail Black people on a daily basis? I mean, the the justice system fails Black people in every single rung of it, right? So um, People of color are more likely to be stopped by police. They're more likely to be searched by police. They're more likely to be arrested by police. Um, Then they're more likely to be held on cash bond or without a bond. They're more likely to be charged by the state attorney's office, more likely to receive a higher charge, and then ultimately more likely to get a longer sentence than white people for all of the same conduct. Okay, so that seems like literally every aspect of the justice system. If I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but that seems like everything is stacked against Black people at this point. Oh, oh, it, it certainly is, and 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 it's it was designed that way. It wasn't that didn't happen by accident. So our very first police forces were created to track and find runaway slaves. Wow. Um, Our very first prisons, um, because we did not always have prisons in this country, um, our very first prisons were designed as um, work camps for Black people after slavery as a way to keep free Black labor um, uh, that that they had just lost. Um, So from, from slavery to lynchings to Jim Crow to mass incarceration, there is a very direct and purposeful line. That's disheartening. And I think right now, a lot of people are focused on police brutality. And I see a lot of people on social media that I think are fine people that I've grown up with through the years that say things like, Uh, The the destruction and all of the danger that people are putting themselves into is not going to bring back George Floyd. And I think that what you just said is so much of the heart and soul of what people are yelling and screaming and crying about. It's the fact that, I mean, the justice system for Black people is the opposite of that. It's not justice at all. Yeah. And, and, um, you know... Folks that are decrying the looting um, have very little comprehension of where that looting is coming from. Right. Right. Um, It is coming from 400 years of an economic system that has purposefully kept Black people poor. Right. Both 
from housing discrimination, the banking discrimination, the redlining to our criminal justice system. Um, it's coming from folks that have never felt powerful before in their lives because society has specifically done everything it could to strip them of their power suddenly finding a way to have power and and to be recognized and to be seen yeah um, and i i i think you know martin luther king who was a the largest proponent of of nonviolent dissent um, had has a great quote that's been widely shared. You know, the riot is the voice of the unheard. That there is a time and place for it, and we are in that time and place now. Yeah, I think what hurts me the most is the fact that as Black people, we've really tried our very best to be articulate about what our grievances are in this country. We've kneeled, we've silently protested, we've protested in a peaceful way. And it just, it really hurts me to see the pain that comes with looting and rioting. And it's just like, I, I wish people could see the humanity in it. If you're going to go to such lengths, there's really got to be a seriously huge problem. And I mean, I 100% agree with you. I think looting is and writing is the voice of the unheard. I mean, what are people supposed to do? But I do know that a lot of people, whether they're looters, rioters, regular peaceful protesters, or whatever the case may be, there are a lot of people who are being arrested during these demonstrations. And I've, I guess I'm living in a fantasy, but I always thought that protesting and using your right to the First Amendment was not something that was illegal. So to me, it's really confusing that so many people are being arrested at these protests. I've been seeing a lot of people sharing these bailout funds for cities across the United States. And I don't know, I'm kind of confused. Can you explain what the process is for someone who's arrested for protesting and why it's so important for people to raise money to bail them out? Well, well, frankly, the the process for people who are arrested for protesting is the same exact process as people who are arrested for everything else. And it's important to raise money to bail out everyone else, too. Right. Like it, it is it is these very folks that have been trapped in this criminal legal system, um, either for the first time today or have been trapped over and over for the last um uh, 40 years uh, to to raise that awareness. So if um, you if your loved one is arrested for uh, trespass tomorrow, uh, they will be brought to jail. They will be booked, and then they will be brought before a judge. That judge will then set a bail amount, and it is legal ransom. It is the amount of money that you or your loved one has to come up with in order for you to get out of jail. If you cannot come up with it. You will sit in jail until your case is resolved. Um, and it's one more, uh, frankly, one of the big major factors of um, kind of our two systems of justice, right? It creates a system of justice for those who can afford to bail themselves out and fight their case from the outside and one for those who can't. And so, you know, these bailout funds are great. Um but I, I guess I would encourage folks not just to donate to them, 
just for protesters. Um, frankly, there's a little bit of privilege that that that, that comes with protesting, right? Like uh, um, a, some a lot of the folks that are getting arrested for the protesting, not necessarily the, the looting side, but for the protesting side, um, had planned this. They they, they went mm-hmm. in thinking they were going to get arrested, um, but it's folks that have that are arrested for. Um, sleeping outside of a, of a gas station um, who are now going to be held without bond. Folks that get arrested for having a crack pipe on them or, or folks that get arrested for, for genuinely breaking into a convenience store um, in order to try to, to, to make money for their family. Um, right. Those are folks that, that I would really encourage folks to um, donate to for bail funds. Um, but then also, you know, find and support candidates who are opposed to cash bond that totally that that are that are um committed to getting rid of this really really unjust system yeah i know one candidate that i will be supporting i don't know if you know him um you guys look alike uh is he special he's very and he's my cousin (laughs) my special cousin Awesome. Well, I think all of that information is very important. Um, I know me personally, definitely enlightened to hear that there are other people, not just protesters that need our help. I think it's really easy to get swept away with the whirlwind that is social media and the regular media and kind of following the narratives that are given to us. But you're so right. There are so many other layers and stories and people that need our help who are also victims of this horrible system. So definitely some great information there, but I know a lot of people are wondering how they can better educate themselves on the justice system, the racial divide, all of that great stuff. I know that anytime I see you, you always have a book within arm's reach. So do you have any (laughs) suggestions for non-Black people who are looking to better educate themselves? Sure. I'll I'll give three suggestions. One is a book, um, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. Love that book letter to his son it is extraordinarily relatable to anybody who is anybody's child or anybody's parents which is all of us um two i would say go online and take it what's called an implicit bias test so um there are harvard has i think the best one but you can literally go online and take a 30 minute test um that will then kind of expose to you where your own implicit biases are um and all of us have them i mean i've taken it i have them we all have some implicit bias um that until we're able to articulate for ourselves what they are, we're not really able to work on them. Totally. Um, and so that's a really good, I think, um, resource. And third, and probably the, the the most effectual is to uh, talk with your black friends um, and and have real meaningful conversations um, and and. Ask them what their daily lives are like. Ask them what it is like for them to um, have a child out in the world, out of school, or uh, to be driving uh, at night. Um, and they won't all 
have the same experiences because they don't all they, they didn't all grow up the same way, but they will all have some insight that that you'll be able to learn from. Um, and, and I think that's really uh, the best resource that that any of us can have is really just talking to the people that we care most about about what their experiences are. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think sometimes we get so academic about things where we're thinking about concepts as concepts and we forget to think about the people behind them, the humanity behind whatever it is that we're discussing. And I think there's a disconnect when you don't actually know someone who is from that walk of life or that creed or whatever the case may be. Uh, I know for me personally, having a more diverse group of friends has made me a better person, not just because... I can eat amazing food from other cultures, which is definitely a plus, but because I now can see the humanity in their struggle, in their issues, even though it's not something I personally am experiencing, I'm hurting because my friend is hurting. I'm hurt because my loved one is hurt. And I just, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think you can read, you can write, you can research, but really just tapping into the humanity of others is like such a wealth of knowledge and understanding. And, and that's exactly right. And, you know, there is everyone, you know, has some sort of story that will be really educational for you. Um, you know, 50% of Americans right now have a, a, a loved one who has been in jail or prison before. Um, I would say if you are not in that 50%, um, you know lots of people who are and so just talking to them about their stories can be really um really impactful and then you know and 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 more importantly it gives you the intellectual firepower to engage in this struggle right like so it isn't just about working on yourself and finding your own um your, your own places where you can improve, which is very important. But it's also giving you the tools that you need to engage with others who are thus far, you know, are, are fighting any kind of real um, advancement, who, who, who are fighting against us in this struggle. You need those tools. And, and, and the best way to do that is just to continue to seek out as much knowledge and experience as possible. Just engaging with friends, loved ones, strangers, and really hearing the things that they go through and realizing it's not a myth, like this is real life, it really kind of ignites a fire in you. I know um, for me, I've always been a huge ally for the LGBTQ plus community, but that started because I had a friend who said to me, listen, people can be awful. And sometimes you're part of that group of people who lets that happen. And I just need you to know that I see you. And from that point, I was like, oh my gosh, I am a good person. This is not something that a good person (laughs) does. So I need to get right and do right immediately. So it absolutely helps. Um, We cannot have this conversation without talking about the admirable work that you've done as um, public defender, but we also need to talk about your very, very amazing campaign. Um, you're running, of course, for state attorney of Broward County. And I would love to know with your past experience, how have you seen maybe some positive ways that the justice system has worked for Black people and people of color? 
it, it just doesn't. I'd, I'd love to end on a positive note. Um, it just th- th- there is nothing redeeming about our current uh, criminal legal system um, when it comes to people of color. Um, yeah. And and I I don't even use the phrase criminal justice system um, because the system that we have now is not justice. It is it is a factory that shuffles people through um, and pushes them out. It usually almost always in in much worse condition than they were when they went in. And that is, that includes, you know, folks that are arrested, but it also includes victims of crime and witnesses of crime um, and, and, and uh, law enforcement officers. Um, so it's just a, it is a system that to me does not deserve to be fixed, um, but should be taken apart and, and something rebuilt in its place. All right. Well, thank you for not sugarcoating things for me. You know, I like to keep it real, (laughs) please. Um, So that being said, what are some things that you would personally like to see change once you're elected state attorney at Broward County? Yeah. So, and just for folks who, who don't know, the state attorney is the elected chief prosecutor of your county. So he or she decides, um, as soon as somebody is arrested, he or she decides whether to charge them with something, what to charge them with. And then because 94 to 97% of cases resolve through plea bargain, what the ultimate sentence will be. Mm. Um, and so the state attorney has extraordinary power over the entire criminal legal system, uh, what that looks like in your community. Um, And we have built our campaign on dismantling mass incarceration. Um, The United States has 2.3 million people locked up. We have more black men in jail or prison or parole right now than we had uh, black men who were enslaved in 1850. What? Mm -hmm. Um, We lock up more of our we, we have five percent of the world's population but 25 percent of the world's incarcerated people um and it was not always this way it is very much kind of the result of tough on crime legislation and district and state attorneys over the last 40 years um and it hasn't kept us safe it has not decreased crime. In fact, there are lots of studies that show that putting folks in jail or prison actually increases their likelihood of engaging in crime uh, once they get out, because uh, not only have we locked them up for a certain period of time, but uh, we take away their right to vote, their right to get a job, their ability to get a job, their ability to find housing, um, their ability to get on public assistance or to go to school or to get loans. And then we turn around and blame them uh, when they are desperate and commit a crime to survive. Right. And so we have to just completely re uh, revolutionize that system. Um, And so what we say is, look, we are um, a whole bunch of parts of our campaign. One is that, like we already talked about, end all cash bail. Nobody should be locked up prior to trial um, simply because they can't afford to get to, to, to bond out. We need to end the war on drugs. We have to stop putting people in jail for drugs. We have to stop giving people criminal convictions for drugs. Totally. Um, we have to stop all of these huge mandatory minimum sentences. Um, 
we have to rethink the prosecution model. <clears throat> so right now the model is you get arrested, you get charged, you get convicted, and then we try and work out a sentence that maximizes future deterrence. Um, that model doesn't work. And so what we have said is that we need to think about uh, prosecution as a last um as a last option. And when instead, when folks get arrested, we need to give them and us the, t- the tools to address the underlying cause of that crime. Totally. We do that through diversion programs. We do that through rehabilitation. Um, whatever it is that, that ca- is causing that, that, un- that, that crime itself, we are going to fight that and attack that as hard as possible. Um, without limiting the future economic mobility of, of the person that has been arrested. And so it's just a, a, a complete rethinking of um, how we think about the criminal justice system. Um, you know, I have lots of folks who uh, I've been attacked a lot during this campaign um, because a lot of what we're saying um, is just so anathema to what folks have have grown up with over the last 40 years and and they say oh you're going to let all the criminals out they say you know crime is going to go through the roof um and we don't even really um believe in the language of someone being a criminal that that no one should be um judged by the worst thing that they ever did that all of us have inherent dignity and worth and um, potential and that it's up to the rest of us to do everything that we can to give those folks the tools and the opportunity to realize that potential. Yeah. Um, But that's the vision um, of, of where we see the office uh, when we're elected at the end of this year. I love it. It's good work. I mean, so often we see, victims of whatever in this country being blamed for this very thing that they're victims of. And it's a really honestly illogical cycle that is almost impossible for people to break. So I 100% am with you. I support what you have going on. Where the pe- where and when can the people vote for Joe Kimmock as state attorney of Broward County? They can vote on August 18th of 2020. You have to be a registered Democrat to vote. Um, And if you live in in Broward County, the vast majority of offices um, that are being challenged are are, uh, being challenged. The the entire game is going to be in that August election. Um, So even if you're not sure you want to saddle yourself with that Democrat um, label, Register as a Democrat. It's what gives you the most power. You otherwise can't vote in that August 18th election. Um, and then you can go check out our website, www.joekimok.com. It's J-O-E-K-I-M-O-K.com. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, all of them, Joe Kimok. Oh, I love it. Amazing. I've been wanting to talk with you for so long on the podcast. I'm so glad we finally got to do it. I hate the circumstances I wish that things were not this way, but part of me uh, is noticing that things feel a little different this time. So I'm hoping that we'll see some effective change. And I know that we'll see Joe Kimmock as state attorney of Broward County. 
Joe, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. It was really a privilege and an honor to be here. Oh, I just love you.